Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen this evening. We're glad that he's here. So grateful for that. And it's good to have, and I'll do this properly, it's good to have Abigail Jones with us this evening as well. Sister Grace's sister. She goes by Abby, but on Facebook it's Abigail, so it's got to be true that you, it's, it's preferred than Abigail Jones. So nonetheless, we are so glad to have her and each guest or member that we have. Maybe you have not been here in some time. Uh, we're appreciative that you are here, amen, this evening. We're going to be turning to the word of the Lord of Exodus chapter 27. Exodus chapter 27. Also going to be reading from verse, or rather chapter 38 as well. Both accounts deal with uh, the brazen altar in the tabernacle. Uh, one account is where the Lord told Moses concerning the pattern, the plan of it. And then the other account later in Exodus 38, it's where the two uh, individuals who were workmanship for all of the furnishings of the tabernacle, that they actually made it. And so the description is somewhat redundant, but nonetheless, I just want to read one verse from each of these chapters tonight. Uh, Exodus chapter 27 and verse 2. And uh, coincidentally, it'll be the second verse of chapter 38 as well. Isn't it neat how that happens? Nonetheless, and thou shalt make the horns of it. And again, this is in regards to the brazen altar. And thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof. His horns, or the altar's horns, shall be of the same. Thou shalt overlay it with brass. Exodus 38 and verse number 2. The reading is not much different from that which I just shared, but nonetheless, whenever it was actually made, and he made the horns thereof on the four corners of it, the horns thereof were of the same, and he overlaid it with brass. Amen. For a little while here this evening, Amen. And I, I don't know if anybody noticed, but I pulled up all the blue X's up here. All right. And so what that conveys to you is this, this, and it always has been, but this is an open altar. Okay. During worship, after uh, preaching, this is an open altar. I'll leave it up to you how close you get to your neighbor up here. I'm leaving that totally now up to you. Okay. But I'm telling you, this is an open altar. And so tonight I want to preach to you about the power of the altar. All right, I want to preach to you about the power of the altar because it's one thing that we don't want to lose out on. I even admonish us this evening, I know that we don't have a prayer space set aside right now before service uh, as a result of everything. But again, take some time whenever you come in to pray. Amen. And find an altar because there is a power. Amen. Concerning the altar. Let's go to the Lord right now. Ask his help in the next few moments and minutes of time. Father, I come to you this evening. I'm thankful, Lord, for your spirit. I'm thankful, Lord, for your people that have gathered together tonight. Lord, we have come, Lord, to lend ear to the word of the Lord. We know, Lord Jesus, God, it is good for direction of our lives. It's profitable for doctrine. God, reproof, rebuke, Lord. I pray, Jesus, all these things, God, the word of God is, Lord, beneficial to our lives concerned. I pray, God, that you would help us now as we look at those scriptures. God, that they would speak life and enlightenment into our souls and will not fail to thank you and praise you. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen. And the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Throughout the pages of scripture is the history in many regards of the altar. From Genesis to Revelation, we have glimpses and episodes that we see the history, the making, if you will, the material of uh, throughout the pages of Scripture what the altar has been. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter number 8 that primarily one of the first things that Noah did whenever he came off of the ark and the floodwaters had subsided is that he took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings unto the Lord at an altar 
after the floodwaters had subsided. It was important to Noah, that man of righteousness that took he and his members of his family upon that ark and even was a preacher of righteousness to the people and the nation of that day. Amen. He was trying to get back after all this time being cooped up with animals and uh, several days with his family members to find an altar to give thanks and to give appreciation unto the Lord. The Bible even speaks to us in the book of Genesis that where God promised unto Abram that his seed would be given the land upon which his feet were standing. Whenever God promised that to Abram, the scripture tells us in Genesis 12 that at that location and that locality that Abram built an altar because God had appeared unto him there and God had spoken unto him there. And so this idea and this concept of an altar even early on was a place where sacrifices were brought unto God. The altar was a communication point between God and man. Amen. Man, either because God had already communicated with them at a particular location or because, amen, they wanted to communicate with God. They many times would build altars. A man sometimes would put together some shrewd dirt and maybe perhaps even stones because he wanted to have a conversation with God. But there were those other times, like with Abraham, that God would speak to a man and have conversation with him. And then that man would build an altar because this is a place that I had communion with God. Prior to the brazen altar of the tabernacle, which our text refers to tonight in both of those chapters of Exodus, altars were to be made, the scripture said, of earth. If they made any altar of stone, they were to be of unhewn stone. In other words, there were to be no tool of graven tool used upon the stone if they were to make an altar of stones. They were not to be touched, but just to be stones in and of themselves, whatever shape or size that they were by nature. As the Living Bible translated, they were to be simple altars. In reality, can I even say this evening that the altar isn't meant to be a complex thing in the church? The altar, the prayer room, those things are not to be complex things. It's, it's function and reality of the Old Testament even going forward. Its function is to hold the sacrifices that are being brought so that they might be consumed by the fire that God first started to begin with. Blood is going to get on the altar. Old Testament altar, if it's going to be utilized, if it's going to be used and function as it was purposed to function, there's going to be blood that's going to get on the altar. There might be even a little sinew, a little muscle over here, or a little flesh hanging on over here that may be found upon the altar. In many regards tonight, the altar was a messy place, but it was an anointed place. It was a place of power. Don't mind how the smell may be around the altar because that's where something died. Don't mind the blood that splattered upon the altar. That's just a testament that something was given unto the altar. Thank God. I want the altar of the church still to be a messy place, don't you? I still want it to, oh yes. I still want it to be a messy place and a place of power. We don't need to complicate, if you will, the dynamics of the altar and the sacrifices of prayer that takes place at an altar. I want it to still be a place that people can come and roll their bodies on as a living sacrifice unto God. I still want it to be messy with tears that fall from eyes, mucus that falls from a nose, sweat that comes from a pore, I still want it to be a, a messy altar. All of that is okay because the altar was designed to handle the mess. It was designed to handle the mess and to create and manifest the power of its existence. 
May I tell you tonight that our altars still yet today need to be laden with sacrifice. The fire still needs to be found upon the altar. The fire that the Bible says originated, amen, from the Lord Jesus Christ up in the heavens. From God, the fire came down upon that first sacrifice that Aaron placed upon the altar. It came down, the fire came down and consumed what was upon the altar and it lit a fire upon the altar that the Bible says was to never go out. And so the priests from that day forward became maintainers of the fire. They became maintainers of that first fire that came down and consumed the sacrifice. Hallelujah. The people were to attend to the flame. They were to refurnish the wood as it burned up and perished. And they were to provide the sacrifice. A man by the name of Dolman, his work uh, is a work called Petra. And he said in that work uh, that he has spoken of and entitled Petra, he said the altar is the obvious evidence or proof of the presence of the deity in the sanctuary. He says, nay, indeed, it is the throne of the deity. He continues to say in his work that the altar and throne often are the very same. The altar itself is a Bethel. The altar itself is a house of God. Perhaps that's why in our own real living lives, amen, even in Christianity, why we are more surprised when we don't feel the presence of God in prayer rather than when we do feel the presence of God in prayer. I'm not surprised whenever I'm talking to God and all of a sudden I feel the abounding presence of the Lord. But I do start scratching my head sometimes, Brother Fred, when I go to prayer and I'm not feeling the presence of God because I went to his altar. I basically stood at the feet of his throne. Hallelujah. And I know that is a powerful place to experience and feel the presence of my God. Can I preach to us today in the age that we live that we still need some activity around the altar? Yes, yes. The altar isn't just a step to get on the platform. The altar just isn't a step to get on the platform. The altar is still a place where we can commune with God. It's still a place where we can come as a mess and leave a man made whole by his presence. It's still the foot, if you will, of the throne of who God is. Someone say amen. Activity around the altar. It still needs to be that medium by which we talk to God and God talks to us. Can I say tonight that a fireless altar and a prim and a proper altar without blood on it, without oil on it, without sacrifices on it, in essence has ceased being everything the altar was intended to be. The brazen altar was never made out of that shidem wood and overlaid with bronze having horns on it. It was never made with staves and rings to be able to be put in the side. It was never made for the purpose of being a piece of furniture like you would have in your house that has no utility but just for the purpose to look good. No, 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 no. The altar had utility. The altar had a function. The altar had a purpose. And unless it's functioning as it should be functioning, then it is less than what God intended it to be. It evidently is not the altar that he has designed. With purpose, the Bible tells us that the very first use of the brazen altar was by the high priest Aaron. And he, in the eyes of the congregation of Israel, the people of Israel, he came before them and he utilized the altar and his use of the altar demonstrated the power of the altar. Aaron, the Bible says, here he is for seven days. He's been doing things, but on this eighth day, it's going to be in the eyes of all Israel. They're going to give witness to what takes place in this moment. And he has the appropriate animals for himself. He has the 
appropriate animals for the nation of Israel, what they were required to bring for their sin offerings. And so he goes up to the altar. He offers the offerings and the animals for himself, the sin offerings, the burn offerings, the peace offerings. And then he takes to this altar, amen, that is overlaid with bronze that has horns on it. And he offers the animals of burn offerings and peace offerings and, and sin offerings for the nation of Israel. And the Bible says in Luke and Israel, Leviticus 9 and verse number 23, and Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle after they did this. They went to the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. I think with great design, God had this inaugural moment of the brazen altar happen as it did because he wanted God's people to know as you lay your sacrifices and your animals upon this brazen altar, sin offering, peace offering, burn offering, whatever it may be, the Bible says that that fire went out from before the Lord and consumed it. God wanted his people to know, Israel to know, the people that he loved that he desires, he pays attention to, and he consumes or eats up, if you will, whatever they offer at the altar. He wanted them to know that would be the only time the fire would fall and start the fire on it. But he wanted Israel to know any other sacrifice, any other time you meet me with sacrifice at the altar, I'm going to pay attention to it just as much then as I am now. I'm going to feed upon it just as much then as I am now. Perhaps somebody needs to be re-encouraged tonight concerning the altar of the Lord in your life. The fire has not quit. Amen. Descending there. It's not quit consuming what you're offering up there. He's not shook his head. He's not batted his eye. He's not turned away. Amen. Hallelujah. He's paying attention to what we're placing on the altar. The Bible says the people were awed. They were responsive to the awesome power of God that manifested itself in that initial fire. That failed. The Bible says that they shouted and they fell on their faces. They worshiped. Why? Because the Lord answered their activity at an altar. Someone say amen. Our first text tonight is where God told Moses about the pattern of the tabernacle that was in the wilderness, all of its furnishings. All of the pieces of furniture, the table of showbread, the lampstand, the Ark of the Covenant, all these things, including the brazen altar. The second text that I read to you this evening is where Bezalel and Aholiab actually made the furnishings according to the pattern that God had designed and given unto Moses. Both verses, again, pertain to the brazen altar. It describes in the scriptures that I read to you that upon the four corners of the altar were to be horns made out of the same material as the altar was made out of. And then all of it was to be overlaid with brass. See, most sacrifices that were acceptable to God and capable of being offered on the altar were animals that potentially had horns. Mm-hmm. You look and read in the scripture those things that were proper for being sacrificed and you're reading of sheep and rams and goats and bullocks and all of these different breeds, all of these different species of animals, amen, whether they be male or female, sometimes just one or the other, but sometimes both. All of them, different species have the capability of having horns upon their head. And so the children of Israel would have been familiar with beasts of the field that had horns on their head. And the emblem of those horns were very relatable to the children of Israel as a nation. As far back as 
man can even be traced in our, amen, society. He has had a impassioned esteem for horned animals. Even cave paintings from what I read of years ago and even later writings reveal that man has an intense passion toward various horned animals. Animals. It's not that they provide, these animals provide milk and meat and cheese and, and their skins or their hides alone unto the individual that fueled men of years ago respect for them. But it's that these men believed that their strength was concentrated in their Horns. They had seen animal horns used as a defense mechanism against the predators that would attack them. You go through history and you see there are several, amen, kings from different places in the world that many times adorned their headdresses with horns as a symbol of strength and supremacy and sovereignty and regal dignity. The Hebrew word that's translated horn in our Bible means both horn and figuratively power. The nation of Israel throughout the scriptures in the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation God had revealed to his people different governments and kingdom powers. Amen. Through this horn terminology. There's a beast with ten horns. There's, there's a goat over here with a noble horn and this has two horns denoting power, denoting kingdom power. The Bible even says in Habakkuk, amen, verse chapter 3 and verse 4, it's speaking about God and it says, and he God, brightness was as the light and he had horns coming out of his hand and there, there where in the horns that came out of his hand there was the hiding of his power someone say amen someone say power and so when we come to our text this evening our text says in reference to the altar that his horns or the altar's horns we're to be of the same. The Living Bible says it like this. There were four horns at the four corners, all of one piece with the rest. The Amplified says, the horn shall be of one piece with it. The Message Bible, just a few translations. I got 30 more. No, I'm just joking. The Message Bible says, the horns are to be of one piece with the altar. Someone say amen. In other words, the altar was not made, and then the horns made separately out of the same material and then affixed somehow or attached somehow to the altar. No, no. They were a separate entity, so to speak. The horns were not removable, but they were as though they were growing up out of the altar. They didn't fasten the horns to the altar, but the horns were the simple outgrowth of the same material that the altar was made out of. Listen very carefully tonight. If you read verse number one of both of those places where we read tonight, the order is quite explicit in Scripture. As God speaks to Moses and as they made the actual furnishings of the brazen altar, the order is explicit. God told Moses to first make the altar. And then after, you are to carve the horns out of the material found at the corners of the altar that you made. In other words, he's not making it separately and attaching it, but God provided within the pattern that he gave to man. He said, here's the altar, uh, here's the pattern of the altar, and I've made provision at the corners, amen, for the horns of the altar to be carved, to be made. Can I tell you tonight that even in different places of Scripture, we have places where men ran to grab a hold of what the Bible terms the horns of the altar. In the Old Testament, we read in more than one occasion about the horns of the altar, which means this if it's the horns of the altar that means the horns belong to the altar that means the altar is possessive of the horns it belongs to it it is theirs in other words without an altar amen there would be no horns no, no, no. without an altar 
there would be no horns. You put all these things in proper context that if they follow this whole design of animals and their horns being powerful, of nations and kingdoms being embolized by horns that God would have in his holy writ. Whenever those people seen the horns of the altar, no doubt their mind is going back to something powerful or something that has power. But it's not a power in itself or of itself. It's a power that's connected to an altar. And if there's no altar, there is no power. If there's no altar, there is no horns. The power is an outgrowth, a manifestation, if you will, of our altar. Someone say amen. Oh, yes, it is. Think here with me just for a moment. Amen. Here is Abraham. I'm walking around just a little bit. Here is Abraham. He has had, amen, the authority of the Lord speaking to his life. Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only begotten son. I want you to go to Mount Moriah. I want you to sacrifice him there. And this is what the Bible tells us in verse number 9 of Genesis chapter number 22. If you can put that up there for me here this evening. This is what the scripture says that Abraham did. Amen. Genesis chapter 22 and verse number 9. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. So we have a man that's actively preparing an altar. Engaged for the purpose of the altar, right? He's given himself to this cause. He's given himself, amen, to this way. And the Bible tells us in verse 13, while Abraham is doing this, preparing, and he has intentions of sacrificing his only begotten son, the Bible says in verse 13 that Abraham saw, he lifted up his eyes, he looked, and behold, behind a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Abraham would then, instead of his son, place the ram upon the altar. Note, though, Abraham prepared the altar first. Abraham was active at the altar first, and then God provided the horns. Oh, yeah. God provided the horns for Abraham's altar. It was caught over here in a thicket by its horns. But those horns were the outcome of a prepared altar. Those horns were the outcome of an active altar. Don't you expect the horn unless you go and frequent the altar. Don't expect the power unless you engage in activity at the altar. The order is important in Genesis and in Exodus. It's always the altar and then the horns. Because we don't get the power without an altar. We don't get horns without a host. <laughs> Within the design of the altar, God was indicating to his people that there is a certain power that manifests itself. They're at the four corners in every direction from the altar. Can I tell this church family tonight? You don't have to attach power to your prayer. But when you pray, prayer is powerful. It's not about how guttural I can get, how loud I can shout. No, 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 no. I don't have to attach as though it was some separate thing and attach it to my prayer. But when I pray, prayer is powerful. Prayer is not an additive. Amen. Prayer power is not an additive to our prayers. It is a byproduct of our prayers. Amen. And it's just all made of the same. If I can just go to prayer, power will manifest itself. Folks, you know it to be true. Too many times you could even and stand up and testify. I prayed about this and God answered with power. I prayed over that circumstance and there was a manifestation of his power. You know why? Because there was activity in that altar. There was somebody that was making altar preparation and from that altar came the horns of power. Someone say amen. When you see, let's just talk about real natural life. When someone sees a pair of horns or perhaps a single horn detached from the animal that they belong to, what I'm meaning is this. Years ago now, it's been five years, I think it was, we went to New Mexico. We preached a youth camp out there for Brother Bingham. Brother Bingham is the wilderness man, man. 
He loves to hunt, fish, all that stuff. He took us into his office. He left the lights off. My kids will remember this perhaps. We walked to Brother Bingham's office. It's not somewhere you'd want to walk in at night, dark, never having been there before. We walk in. He turns on the light. He's got bears standing higher than I do. He's got, he's got horns of this and that, animals galore. The man, he's been on safaris, and he's killed some very exotic stuff, and he's got all this stuff in his office. So you don't want to walk in there, never been in there before in the dark. And you standing toe-to-toe with a grizzly. All right. But he has all these things. And there's some things that, you know, people get things mounted. It has, it has the animal's head and its horns. Some animals, they're antlers. But if you see a pair of horns or a single horn detached from the animal that they belong to, me not being the wilderness man as Brother Bingham is, I might ask because there were some horns there that I'd never seen before. You know what I'm saying? And so I, the, 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 the question for me, maybe it's not for you, is this. What are those from? And the reason why I ask that is because I know they don't just exist by themselves. So, well, those are straight and they have these little, you know, almost like corrugated where, and, and, or they spiral or this. I said, what's that from? You know, I'm from Illinois. Talk to us about deer, but you got some stuff here. I don't know what you're talking about here. What, what are these horns? What are they from? Because I know, again, the horns do not exist by themselves. I know that they are the outgrowth of some living thing. They're the outgrowth of some living thing. And if there are horns, then there was some animal that bore those horns. That's the source. Of those horns. Tell me again and let me speak it again. Power does not exist by itself. It's it does not exist in the life of a church. If you walk into church and my God, this is a powerful church, let me tell you something. That doesn't exist by itself. It's not just a component that you add on at the a la carte line as though I want that. No, no, no. But if you get the altar, you get the power. Oh, someone say hallelujah. It's attached to something of similar or like composition. If there is power, no well, that power's got to be attached to an altar somewhere. Someone's prayed. Someone sought God. Someone's cried some tears. Someone... Someone say hallelujah. I've said this before, but I grant saying it again for the purpose of this sermon tonight. Again, you know, when antlers are temporary. Hunters out there know it, right? They're going to shed those antlers, right? Antlers are temporary. Antlers are made of dead bone, but horns are permanent, and horns are made of living bone. Externally, they appear just to be a solid structure. But in reality, a horn, amen, are composed of living bone tissue that's interlaced with blood vessels and nerve fibers and so on and so forth. Horns consist of keratin. The same thing your fingernails and toenails are made of, they consist of keratin, amen, and other proteins surrounding a core of living bone. In other words, they were not made, amen. God did not make the animal for him to shed his horns. They shed antlers, but he don't shed a horn because a horn is a living part of the host. Someone say amen. They were to be there permanent. They were to consist of all those nerve fibers and blood vessels. For that matter, I understand from reading that animals, amen's horns start to grow at birth. In other words, the moment they're born, there is starting a growing appendage from that host called a horn. And they say it will continue to grow throughout the life of the organism as long as the organism is alive. Can I tell someone, it says somewhere along the journey, it happens there is a fusing of the horn with the skull of its host. That's what makes them inseparable. Amen. Whenever those men have owed everything that they've ever predicated horns on are the animals they lived around and the sacrifices they offered on the altar. But when God said, I want horns on my altar, those people were going to say, that's power. That must be attached to that. That's a living part of that. That is, oh my God. 
I wish we could somehow get in our spirit. We need to get back to a good old-fashioned altar and allow the growth of power, amen, to emerge and surge and continue to grow as long as the altar stays alive. Amen. First Samuel 2 and 1. First Samuel 2 and 1. If you can get it for me there. The Bible states these words. Hannah, right? Barren, couldn't have no child. She goes to the house of God. Every year offers for sacrifices. She prays. She goes this year. She prays. The backslidden priest. Eli could not discern that she was praying. He thought she was drunk. But notice the scripture. <laughs> and Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Look, mine horn is exalted. Woo! In the horn. I don't believe it's scripture coincidence that it first says she prayed and then she exclaims, My horn has been exalted. Let me tell you something tonight. If you're feeling like a weak, frail, done over Christian that has no power, no tenaciousness in your spirit, perhaps we need to get back to frequenting the altar. Because if we get the altar, we get the horn. If we get the prayer, we get the power. If we get the diligence and the activity before the throne, oh yes, there'll be a cloud descending on that location. Hallelujah. He did not say. And thou shalt construct the altar so many cubits high by so many cubits wide, and thou shalt put the antlers on it of the same. <laughs> no, 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 no. This was a dynamic horn, a power that was fused to its host, the altar. It was a living, everybody say living. It's a living power. It's a permanent power. The power of our prayers outlast us. Huh? You know it to be true, 1996, all those that got the Holy Ghost. Grandma McGee died, but her prayer, whew, there was a horn that had been exalted. I want to encourage somebody tonight that as you grow in prayer, <laughs> your prayer will grow in power. As you grow in prayer, your prayer will grow in power, a living power. Again, this power is not merely attached to the altar. It is actually a part of the altar. The Mishnah, which is a legal, legal material of the Jews, states that any altar which lacked horns was deemed unfit or incomplete. Don't have horns. It's, it's unfit or incomplete. For that matter, the Bible records for us that there was perhaps no greater desecration of an altar than its horns being cut off. The Bible says in the prophetic book of Amos 3.14, it says that in the day that I shall visit the transgressions of Israel, upon him I will also visit the altars of Bethel, these were altars to false gods, mind you. And the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. In the book of Kings, Jeroboam had made a couple of golden calves. He set one in Bethel. He set the other one in Dan. His purpose for doing so was that he was trying to convince the people that it would be a little too much for them to travel to Jerusalem, so I'll make it convenient for you. I'll put you a golden calf in Dan and one in Bethel, and you can go there and you can worship conveniently there. But the Bible tells us that Israel sinned with a great sin because of those calves that were in Bethel and that was in Dan. Because whenever they went there to worship before one of those or the other, the Bible says along with the calf per se at Bethel that Jeroboam had also made an altar for them to put their sacrifices upon. But they were not the sacrifices to God, but they were the sacrifices to other gods, per se, of the world in which they lived. And so whenever God is declaring his word in Amos, God's saying, that's all right. 
You want to go to Bethel and you want to offer up sacrifices upon an altar to false gods? He says, I'll judge your sin. That's okay. I'll illustrate what your godless altars really are. I'll illustrate what your godless altars really are. I'll cut the horns off them so that they are appropriately appropriately illustrated because your godless altars are really powerless. Your godless altars are really powerless altars. And can I preach to us tonight as a congregation that the trouble with powerless altars is this, is that they indicate a dysfunctional altar. The blood of the sin offering, according to scripture, was smeared on the horns of the altar. The blood was poured out at the base of the altar. Amen. But blood can only be found at the base or upon the horns if the altar is a functional, a functional altar. I want to present to you tonight, and I hope that we're glad of it, but in many cases and ways, Calvary was an altar. It was a slaughtering place. Altar, the definition altar has two different definitions, a slaughtering place or a place that is lifted up. Calvary fits both of those definitions. He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw them. And it was a place where a man's life, the Lamb of God, was, was offered on Calvary. Somebody needs to thank God tonight that that altar was a functional altar. The Bible says the law was weak through the flesh, but Calvary, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. There at Calvary, there's blood all around at Calvary. It wasn't a godless altar. It was a messy place, but it was a mighty place. Oh, yes, someone say amen. The Bible says in Psalms 118 and verse 27, the psalmist David says this. Look at this now. He says, God is the Lord which have shewed us light. He says, bind the sacrifice with cords even unto the horns of the altar. Now, when the sacrifice had, had been divided or cut or the fat separated the way that it needed to be, they would take the sacrifice and they would place it upon the altar for consumption by the fire. All right? But before that ever happened, according to the Psalms and scriptures that we can read, before that ever happened, that sacrifice, before it was life taken and divided and set up on the altar, it was tied through some courting way to the horns of the altar. Everybody say, okay. So here is something vitally important. The tragedy of altars not being utilized the way that they should be utilized is that they are void of power. All right? But look at this. They are also then void of a place to tie the things that we agreed to surrender to God. I hope everybody's listening to what I'm saying right now. In other words, there may be some times that we have failed to follow through with what we've intended on surrendering to God. Because there's not been any prayer at an altar to produce any horn of power on the altar that we can anchor the things we intend to surrender. Brother Malone, if I have an intention of giving a lamb, but there's no horns on the altar, I have no place to tether what I intend to surrender. And it's alive until I put it to death. After death, I put it on the altar. But until there, it has to be tethered to the power of the altar. Come on, talk about it. Go ahead. Hey, 
Amen. How many times have we failed through? I intend to do this for the Lord. I intend to walk in all of the commands and the righteousness of God in this area. And we find ourselves, oh, there it goes again. It's loose. I got to go back out into the wilderness wherever, trying to get it with the cord and bring it over again. And it's like, where do I tether this? Where do I attach it? Because you've not made an altar to have any power that you can tether that to. But if you'll pray and the power will come, you'll have places you can put the things you plan on surrendering to God until they're slaughtered and able to be placed up on the altar. It's the power of an altar. Amen. Prayer is not your last resort. Prayer is your first resort. It's not seeing what all you can do to get to that point. I'll tell you what you'll do. You'll round what you intend, get it to the altar, but have no place to tether it. You need to pray first so you have somewhere to anchor what you want to surrender. Amen. Amen. You can share me tonight. I'll try to close here in the next two minutes and ten seconds. I'm serious. You can stand. I'm not a lying preacher. Because if I say, I don't usually ever say. Okay. I don't want to say something untruthful. I'll investigate that in my mind while I'm in the fetal position at my house later tonight. The power of an altar. Jesus has shown himself alive after his resurrection, after his passion, 40 days. Passover has taken place. 50 days past Passover's Pentecost. For 40 days he had shown himself alive unto his disciples. He's having some parting words before he ever ascends in Luke chapter number 24, Sister Malin in verse 49. He has some parting words to his disciples. He says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tear ye in Jerusalem, right? That ye be endued with, everybody say it with me, power. Whenever they stood there and seen Jesus ascend into the heavens, the angels asked them, why you stand here gazing the same Jesus you see go will come again in like manner. The Bible says after this whole ascension ceremony, the disciples made their way to Jerusalem. And they were there with a total number of about 120 individuals in the upper room. And the Bible tells us that they, here we go, they continued in Prayer and supplication for several days. Somebody say altar. Altar. But while they were praying, you have to look at the timeline. I'm not, I'm not on either one of them sold. Uh, you have the 40 days and you have 10 days then left until Passover, wherever the three days of him being in the grave were accounted in that days too. Then, you know, you might have seven to 10 day prayer meeting, okay? That's what we're getting at. Seven to 10 day prayer meeting at Jerusalem. But for Acts 2 to tell us, Sister McGee, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues. As the Spirit gave them utterance. Somebody say power. Oh, I feel a little... Altar preceded power. Altar preceded the horns. Someone hear me right now. Why is it then, Brother McGee, that we encourage people where they want to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost to pray? I wonder. Because there's something attached to the altar. Oh, Shia, something that's attached, it, it's of the same thing. I, there's been people that's just prayerful mind, 
mindful in prayer like every day. Sometimes there's people that just walk around. I've known the people, you know, get the Holy Ghost when they're driving down in their car. But a lot of time, you know what they tell you? You know, I was just talking to God in my head. That's all right. Use that thing for something for crying out loud. I was talking to God in my head. What were they doing? They were praying. Altar, horn, power. I'm convinced tonight that someone could receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost if they just frequent an altar. Oh, Brother McGee, I got, I got scriptural precedents. Huh? This is not, it's not like, you know, just some little thing we have over here. Oh, we keep all of our horns over here, and when we want them, we bring them out, we attach them at the four corners. God bless. No! Have the altar. You have the horn. It's not a godless altar. It's not a prim and proper altar for show. It's messy. It's bloody. It's oily. But it's mighty. Hallelujah. We bow our heads all across this place right now tonight. I feel that it is imperative this evening as a pastor to call us back as a church to the altar. I'm not just talking about your personal altar, but we need to be called back to the altar that's even in the house of the Lord. Because I know we've been estranged from it and with good reason. But all of that has now, the door's been kicked open wide. All of that is passing over. I mean, for what I regulate here at the church, okay? And so this altar is open. Amen. Every time we come in here, this altar is open. Somebody needs to tap back into the utility of the altar. So give manifestation to the power. Amen. That's with it. These altars are open tonight if somebody wishes to pray. If you need the baptism of the Holy Ghost tonight, tonight would be a great night just to pray through to the Holy Ghost and allow the evidence and manifestation of the power of the altar to be realized in your life. Amen. By being filled with His Spirit. This altar is open tonight. Come on, sir. Come on, ma'am. Hallelujah. This is a living thing. This is not something dormant. This is not something temporary. This is a living thing. It grows. It grows. Hallelujah. It gets higher. Amen. It gets thicker. It gets more robust. Hallelujah. As we utilize the altar, it's attached to that living thing. Would somebody, hallelujah, have some activity at the altar tonight? Amen. Let the blood be shed there. Let tears be shed there. Let it get messy there. That's all right. That's what it was built for. That's its function. That's its purpose. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, let's talk to the Lord all across this place. There's some people here tonight that need some power in circumstances. There's some people here tonight that need power in their life for what they are going to face tomorrow. There's some people here tonight that need a renewing of God's power in their own personal life. Perhaps it's been years ago since you experienced the power of God. You need to rekindle, get the wood back out, get the sacrifice back out, and see if not, the power is still attached to that altar. Amen. You'll find him there. You'll find the power and the glory of his presence there. That altar is his throne. It's a place where we make our petitions and our requests before God. He will meet you there.
power in it, isn't there? We're going to rejoice with Sister Jennifer tonight. Amen. A new name written down in glory. And it's hers. Oh, it's hers. Hallelujah. 
There's power. Amen. Power tonight. Amen. God's spirit. Meet him at that altar. He can transform lives at an altar. Hallelujah. He can transform circumstances at an altar. There's power in it tonight. Amen. She feels kind of shaky all over. Hallelujah. That's all right. Amen. Feel new. Amen. That's biblical. That's biblical. We rejoice tonight for what the Lord has done for her. Amen. This evening. So there is, amen, the power of the altar. Don't forget that this week. As you go to that bedroom or that closet, whatever it is of prayer, uh, understand there's something that you're doing there that causes a manifestation of something higher, a power. Amen. In the Holy Ghost. So I'm going to pray tonight. Amen. Over us as we leave this place, enter into uh, our world as we live this week. Father, I come to you tonight. We're thankful. God, we're thankful for your spirit. We're thankful, Lord, that you still, Lord, are saving souls of men. God, you're still fulfilling your purpose in the earth. Lord, you came to seek and save that which is lost. You come to draw all men unto you and reconcile them unto you. I pray, oh God, tonight we're thankful for that. Be with your church this week. Be with these people as they go through separate ways, work at their jobs. We pray, God, for your hand of protection, God, upon their lives, upon the health of their lives. Help them, God, to be a witness. Help them, God, to walk in the demonstration and the power, Lord Jesus, of what they've experienced, Lord, and what they have uttered, Lord, in altars of prayer. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen, amen. God bless you tonight. Dismiss from the back, going from, from the back to the front. Da, 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 da. Amen. God bless you this evening. You fellowship outside. It's still daylight. It's not raining. Amen. God bless you in Jesus' name. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.